everyone. Welcome to episode three of Ears to Hear. So today we'll be doing our third part in, I guess, what I call an introductory series. Um, you know, it's the Chai series, the play on of hello, but just some fundamentals. And oftentimes, you know, we kind of, we, we forget the elementary things. And Grand, you know, as Hebrew says, we're supposed to move on from these things and move on from milk into meat. But a lot of these things aren't, a lot of times milk is meat. And these, these fundamentals and these foundational things are actually what really matters, are really the most important parts of the faith. So we won't stay on this series. You know, we'll move on and we'll come back and all of that. But this is one thing I wanted to go over. So last episode we did faith, faithfulness, and works. You know, what is that? And this one, you know, I'm titling uh, The Fall, Sin, and the Real Issue. So uh, what, what is sin? And what happened at the fall? And what's the real issue going on? And I think this is a really important message because we oftentimes just itemize sin. You know, it's just this thing we do. Um, you know, this is a sin and that's a sin and, and that's a sin. And you know, I was going to talk about this a little later in the episode, but I remember when um, I kind of departed the Lord for a little bit. I didn't really depart in the sense of leaving the faith. But I got caught up in business and you know, doing this and that and making money and all that. And, and I just wasn't, I wasn't really walking with him. And one day when he was kind of calling me back to him and he was kind of destroying the business and he was like, Hey, you know, basically come back. And my wife wasn't really listening to me. You know, she, she obviously, and she was listening to other men and that kind of got on me and, and rightfully so, you know, I did have her trust in a way and that, that makes sense. And one night I came back and I was like, you know, I had this thought today about sin. And I was like, I don't really think there's such thing as sin and what isn't sin. And she was like, uh, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? So I told her, I was like, listen, hear me out. Cause I had this revelation and I don't think there's just black and white. I think what there is, is there is what is godly, what's like God. And then what isn't like God? So we're either walking the way that he is, in the way he is, or we aren't. And when we're not walking in the way he wants us to, or the way he would be, it's a corruption of something. And it is sin. It is missing the mark. Who, who exactly are we missing the mark of? We're not being like God. And that's, that's kind of what sin is. It's, it's much deeper. And she was like, okay, I get what you're saying. And now, granted, there is sin, but even Torah is, you know, Torah from Yarah, which is an, an instruction, basically, of, of hitting the mark. You know, Yarah is to throw an arrow and to hit it on the mark. And sin is to miss the mark, to not hit it. So what mark are we missing? We're missing the example that Yeshua set for us. But is it really that simple? You know, it's, it's, it's not. So we're going to get into it, and we're going to get into the fall. And what we're going to do is we're going to just read Genesis 3, 1 through 24, uh, reading out of the ESV. And we're going to kind of see what's going on. So it starts, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord ha God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I know she added the whole little, lest you touch it. Um, But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed together fig leaves and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to man and said to him, Where are you? And he asked, or and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I command you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you should, shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his, his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So... We've all read this and we're all aware of it, but look at look at a couple details. So, you know, this serpent, you know, which is Nefesh, which means the shining one, um, he casts, casts doubt on God. You know, did God really say, you know, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And, um, you know, and she says, no, we may eat of them, just not this one. You know, neither shall you touch it unless you die, you know. And he says, you, you will surely not die. Your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And, and, this, and the woman, she saw that this tree was good for food. It was beneficial. And it was pleasing to the eyes. You know, it was appealing. And it was able to make them wise. And then we see that they, they knew they were naked. You know, and they sewed, sewed together fig leaves, you know, fig tree, 
reminiscent of that, and they make clothing, and, and God comes and they're ashamed, and they're hiding. You know, they know, they're no, they now know that they're naked. So what happened? How, how are they now knowing that they're naked? And then, and God comes and he says, where are you? You know, who told you you're naked? There's this connection lost between God and man. You know, he has to say, where are you? You know, obviously he knew, but it's this, it's this polemic, this theme going on that they, they, they've, they've fallen, you know? And then we have, you know, the serpent is crushed on belly, you know, in shame and, and beaten down, you know, eat dust and you just consume the dirt. You're on the dirt. Um, then we have the prophecy of Yeshua and, and really we see this curse. It's like curses the ground because of your sake. So they're cursed and the creation is cursed. You know, all creation cries out and groans, you know, and these curses are sown into them. You know, now we have to eat. We have this disconnection from even creation of what we're made. This happens. And we see this happen later, even with Cain. You know, when, when he spills his brother's blood, that not even the earth will yield its strength back to you. I mean, what does that mean? I have a theory, and I believe it means that we basically didn't take us energy. It didn't take us jewels to have to till the ground. We had a connection with the, with the ground. And people are like, oh, well, that's weird Mother Earth stuff. And, and I, I don't think so. I mean, we were spiritual beings at one point, and we can only speculate as to all of this. You know, but what we do know is that we fell from a state. And this is really powerful with apologetics, with like Buddhism and things where, you know, you have to be enlightened. You know, you have to get back to your original state that we're fallen. Okay, well, what happened? Why are we fallen in the first place? And that's what been one of my, my things I've said when witnessing to Buddhists and stuff is, you know, I was a Buddhist and, and I would tell them, I'd be like, well, why are we fallen and what did we fall from and how exactly did we fall? If we fell from an original state that we were in, why, why do we have to get back to this? And why is all this, the ways to get back to this evil? <laughs> I mean, I practiced a form of uh, yoga, of Kriya yoga called Kundalini. And Kundalini is its own thing, but I practiced specifically Kriya Kundalini yoga. Uh, yoga. And, you know, I remember being at the monastery and stuff, and I would go into meditation groups, and I was talking with this guy, a monk, a lot of times. You know, and I was like, you know, this is whenever we're seeking enlightenment, it's it's wicked. We have two serpents that you know spiral up from the Mulahadra to the Sahasara. You know, from your root chakra to your crown chakra. I'm like, why a serpent, and why is it come with physical infirmities? Why are we affected by this? This just doesn't seem right. Something is wrong with us. What happened to us? And this is before I was saved. But after that, I was like, hey, we, we did fall from a state. And then, and then we'll read that we, we, put, we, we put on this type of corruption. And, and this is interesting. And people have these theories. You know, we have the first sacrifice of, of the garment of skin. You know, God took this garment and, and he clothed them. And, and there's two views here. It's either that of an animal. You know, as God sacrificed the first animal, foreshadowing the the need of Yeshua's sacrifice and also the, obviously the animal sacrifice system. But a second view, um, particularly like Targum, Jonathan. So Targums were Aramaic paraphrases of the Old Testament. And they actually, you, you have to take them with a grain of salt, but they had a lot of things too, the messianic profile of Yeshua, 
and they explain a lot of things that are obvious. So it's very hard to determine when something is literal and when something or is true, when it's their opinion. But either way, what they say, what they suggest here, that is in some way, you know, God clothed us with flesh now. You know, we have this flesh and that which we must put off. And this is an interesting thing. So we'll get back to this. What They're exiled from Eden. You know, they're kicked out of paradise and they're kicked out of the east. And we see this eastward motion with everything, you know, eventually Babylon and all this. And people are just like moving further and further away from, um, from Eden. You know, and Eden is something we'll go over later because the whole goal is to get everyone back to the state to restore Eden. You know, they're kicked out of the east. You know, even the temple faces the east, the doorway. You know, we have all this, all this symbolism going on. You know, the garden and the, and the gardener and then, you know, you know, Israel's the vine and then Yeshua's the vine and then Yeshua is seen as a gardener. You know, you're mistaken as a gardener. All this symbolism. We'll get into that. But... But the flesh thing is interesting in this whole idea is because we tried to cover ourselves. You know, we knew we were naked, our eyes were opened, and then God clothes us, you know, and now we have to put this off. You know, something entered us that corrupted us and we became wicked. Even when the flood happens, you know, God relents because all the desires and thoughts of man's heart were continuously and consistently just wicked and evil. We were wholly corrupted. In every sense of the word. And we do have to put this thing up. You know, Ephesians 4.22 is put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Colossians 3.9, you know, put off the old self with its practices. So again, some, it's almost like something entered us, this corruption entered into our once uncorrupted bodies, if you would. And a symbol of this is circumcision. You know, we put off this corruption that came over us, you know, the foreskin, whether that, you know, developed from this or not. Again, we can only really speculate, but, you know, we're supposed to, circumcision is a sign of being dedicated to God. You know, you're naked and exposed to him as we once were, and it's the symbol in the flesh of the covenant with him, this relationship. You know, we, he cuts a covenant, you know, and we cut the circumcision. You know, it says we're, 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 you know, we have to be circumcised of hearts and circumcised of ears. You know, we went over this in the first episode, uh, being, you know, uncircumcised in the ears, being unable to even hear. You know, but the, the real goal is the circumcision of the heart. And God even says in Jeremiah that, you know, he'll kill anyone who's only circumcised in the flesh. It was pointing to something more. And what was it pointing to? That in Ye- Yeshua, we have this new circumcision. So. I guess the best part for this is to read Colossians 2, 11 through 15. And we'll pull this up. And it reads, again in the ESV, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Messiah, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the wonderful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame. 
by triumphing over them. So we were dead in this flesh, you know, in, in the, the, the serpent, the flesh, he said, you know, you know, you won't die, but we certainly did. Death entered and corruption entered. And a good overview of this is actually Romans 5. You know, usually people are so consumed with the law in this that they're missing the actual meaning. In the last episode, we kind of went through the beginning of Romans and showed that it's not really talking about the law. You know, it's really not. Of course, the law is used because the law serves as an agent of salvation and in an instruction purpose. It, it does show sin to exist. It shows the fallenness and the need of a savior. That's why Moses spoke of me, you know, and not me. Obviously, you get it. <laughs> but um, let's start in Romans 5, 12. You know, it says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning. So when we read this sinning here, it's hamartano, which is just general, general sin, you know. And we keep reading, you know, who's sinning, even those who's sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. You know, in this Greek word here of this transgression is parabasis. And, you know, in the Greek right here, we're going to read homoio mati tes parabasios. So, in the likeness or resemblance of the violation of Adam. You know, so our sins, they were not like his, but obviously flowed in a similar way. You know, we keep reading, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, and much more have the grace of God and free gift by the grace of that one man, Yeshua Messiah, abounded for many. So now we have a different trespass here. We have paraptoma, which is basically like to fall away to the side of, you know, and somewhat to miss the mark direction and, and go off to the side. And, and they essentially mean the same thing. I'm not saying these are two totally different things, but the little nuance we're seeing is, is important. You know, and we keep reading, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, Amartano, but the judgment following one trespass, uh, that, that trespass is not in the Greek, uh, brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses, paraptoma, brought righteousification. For if, because of one man's trespass, same, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Yeshua Messiah. Therefore, as one trespass, same, <laughs> led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to righteousification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So the word, reason I'm bringing up this Greek is, is not to say that there's, you know, these different sins, but the word means to going to the side. And then we have this disobedience emphasized. So Adam committed this trespass, this going off to the side, and then we continue to sin as Hamartano in the same, like not in the same exact way, but after the manner of, you know, we have our disobedience stressed, and then we have Yeshua's obedience stressed. You know, so what is this? What is his obedience? 
Is his obedience just keeping the law perfectly? No, it's doing the will of the Father alone. You know, like even let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done. So what's being stressed here is that Adam veered off. And from this veering off, this transgression towards God, everyone else has followed in his path. And I disagree with the idea of like, you know, we all have the guilt of Adam on us. I disagree with that idea. We have sin, death entered into human life because of what he did. So what is going on? What exactly is there anything we can learn from this? So I want to skip to Romans 6 and read 12 through 13. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. And then verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of disobedience, uh, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You know, and then he goes to 19, I'm speaking to you in human terms because of your natural limitations. And, and this would be better translated like literally as you know, the weakness and, and the sickliness of your flesh. So you know, I'm talking to you about this because of how, you know, how weak you are in this state in the flesh. And he says, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, you know, uncleanliness, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You know, and then Romans 7, 5, you know, we're living in, their flat, in the flesh, our sinful passions. You know, this was aroused by the law. And there were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. You know, we have Romans seven fifteen through 25, and, and we'll read this. And it says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Yeshua Messiah, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So we, he, we have here this consciousness of something working in us. And that's kind of Paul's whole, whole argument here. He's like, hey, like I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing. And I want to do this, but I can't not do it. I'm in this body of flesh and death and, and wickedness. And it's always going to make me do all of this bad stuff. You know, 
And what he's pointing to is, you know, I delight in the law in my inner being. You know, one could even say in your soul, you know, your spirit, like you're inside observing your thing. And one thing I've, I've always talked to people about is, you know, people, especially coming out of the occult, and this is something I struggle with, and I learned this lesson. And here's a, a mini lesson is a lot of times you'll deal with things to be able to help people. Because I dealt with hell, literal hell going through this. But I've been used by God to bless so many going through it. And, and it's like, was it really bad? Looking back, you know, we always deal with sufferings. And then on the other end, it all makes sense. And it doesn't make sense till you're through it, till you're through the storm. You don't, it, just don't, it won't make sense a lot of times. But you got to trust God because we're always going to go through these things. And then when you get on the other end, you're like, wow, okay, that makes sense. And we're so selfish that we don't even think about that way. But I dealt with this hell. I, I had like basically what <laughs> I had a thorn in my flesh, a demon that would just afflict me all the time. And he would throw these arrows at me. And these, and I go to deliverance ministries and that, like ask them for help. And one that was a legit deliverance ministry, I'm not really into them because they are usually crazy, <laughs> um, just to be perfectly honest. But the one guy, he stopped. He was like, Yeah, you have a, a hook in your soul. It was like, you know, what'd you do? You know, it's like I was really deep in the occult and I allowed demons to be channeled through me. So they, they got this hook in me. So they had this, you know, I had to shed it off. It took time. Things take time. But he would throw these just wicked thoughts at me and I would observe these thoughts and I'd be like, no, 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 no. Like I'd fight against them. And people have these same situations. And it's the same thing with temptation a lot is that if you are a conscious being, you know, and you have your thoughts. And if you are having thoughts that you are actively thinking against, so another way, if you're having a thought in your mind, but then part of your mind is looking at those thoughts, what's going on? Are those thoughts your thoughts? How can you think against your own thoughts? No, it's your flesh and you're being attacked and you're having these thoughts and you're observing these thoughts. You know, you can't be bad and good at the same time. What we can have is we can have a corrupted flesh and we can have a transformed and sanctified mind, you know, a spirit, a conscious, and we're observing our flesh. And we need to make that distinction because we can't let ourselves off. Whenever you're in sin or anything, you are giving your flesh a place. You're giving into it and you, we do make this choice and we just have darts thrown at us, but we make that choice. You know, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is strong. We are, we are always at battle with our flesh. You know, it's about time we stop blaming demons and stuff all the time and start realizing that we have a corrupted body that we're in. And it's, it's corruptible. And it's, it's fallen. So, Paul recognizes this perfectly. And then he says, I ser serve this, this law, this nomos of sin that works in me and makes me do this stuff. So what, what is going on? You know, and we must ask the question, what is sin? So, you know, we already read that, you know, it wasn't the exact same sin as Adam, but it's still in a similar fashion. It's still sin. You know, and we read all throughout the Old Testament what the problem with the Israelites were and all this stuff. And it, it, pay attention, it's just, it's this general waywardness. You know, they're running off into idolatry and, you know, they're running off into the sins and lusts of the flesh. And there's all this, all this stuff. And, you know, our sins aren't like the original sin, but 
the original sin produces, and I say that just for, you know, saying the first sin, um, of what that original sin produces in us. So generally it's accepted that there's three forms of sin, even though it's all still sin. And the famous, you know, verse Psalm 32, 5 is what people usually go to with this, you know. And he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So it's like, huh, what, what, what's going on? We have all three things. So the first is sin in Hebrew, and you know, we famously know is this missing the mark. You know, in Hebrew, it's chet or chata, to miss the mark. Um, and that's the general, you know, idea of sin. And then we have trespass, which, you know, as we show, is basically falling by the side of. And then the iniquity, it denotes something purposeful, like pattern, calculated, like you know sin. You're, you're, it's a knowing sin. You're knowingly doing it. It's a choice. And all of these, you know, fall under the, this general sin of missing mark. But this general sin manifests itself in these ways. You know, we do have a transgression, which is still sin. And we kind of fall off and we miss it. But then we have iniquity where it's like a high-handed sin. And, and we're doing that. So, and, and both still fall under the same, same thing. And we have a lot of, you know, all these examples, um, you know, like Proverbs 24, 9, you know, the devising of folly, the planning of foolishness is sin. You know, of, of, you know, basically wretched foolishness, you know, doing bad, planning this is just sin. You know, Romans 14, 23, you know, if we don't eat of faith, you know, whoever does not produce from faith is sin. So it's a violation of this conscience. In Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, verse 4, three verses later, talks about, you know, our struggle against sin. You know, we're struggling against it. You know, everyone knows, you know, 1 John 3, 4, especially messianics. You know, it says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know, it's all they focus on. You know, that's all they're focused on. They're like, oh, well, it's just breaking the law. It's just this enumerated, you know, idea of, you know, this is sin. And, you know, if you keep Sabbath and you keep the feasts and you eat kosher, you know, you're pretty much good. It's like, well, congratulations. You know, as I always say, you, you have a diet change and a schedule change. What's really the issue here? Is that really the, the whole sum of it? Is that all your sin is? Your sin is just keeping this list? No, like, look, what, pay attention to what he's saying. He's saying this, this practice of sinning and practicing lawlessness. And then with James, you know, one thirteen to 15, you know, it says we're not tempted of God, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So look at this desire, this desire. When this desire has its work, and when it conceives, you know, when it takes on this temptation and it becomes impregnated, it gives birth to sin. It creates sin. And then this sin creates death. You know, Peter even has in 4 1 something to add, 1 Peter 4 1. 
It says, since therefore Messiah suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And then 2 Peter 2.14, they have eyes of adultery, insatiable for sin. Satiation. So pay attention to all these things. And then ask yourself, so what is sin? What is it? Is it anomia? Lawlessness? You know, without law, a, then nomos, you're going to, ah, nomia. Is it antinomian, anti-law, just breaking the law? No, I don't think so. I'll tell you what I think sin is. It's another Greek term. It's autonomy. And this means ruling of self. Law to self, basically. What's What's the sin of the garden? What was the original sin? Autonomy. You know, to rule oneself. You literally, you want to be a law to yourself. She saw that it was good and it was pleasing and was able to make one wise. And then she took. Sin is ultimately rebellion and it's going your own way. It's missing that mark, missing the Torah, the Urah, the hitting the mark, the instruction of godliness. It's going off. It's going on your own way even putting on your own garments we cover ourselves we're in charge it's our life you know we read in isaiah 31 ah stubborn children declares the lord who carry out a plan but not mine and who make an alliance but not of my spirit that they may add sin to sin and who set down to go down to egypt without asking for my direction to take refuge in the protection of pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of egypt and that's slightly out of context, but sin is constantly, constantly placed together with rebellion. You know, even Jeremiah 33a is a good example. Sin is rebellion. So let's read 1 John 2, 15 through 16. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's against any rule. Sin is against any rule, any law, any governing. Even 1 Timothy 1.9, it's you know, lawless and disobedient. It's doing it your own way. You know, it's not, oh, this is sin, and then this is sin, and then this is sin, and this is sin. It's, it's all of it. It's anything that goes your own way apart from God. And, and people are like, oh, well, what's the foundational sin? You know, is it pride? Well, tell me, is it pride that led Satan to transgress? You know, to slip off to the side, to go his own way? So here's the thing is pride has to come from something. Pride alone is nothing. You can't be prideful over nothing. It has to be attached to something. And people will say, you know, because humility really is, you know, the foundation of all virtues. It is the foundational virtue. You can't really have faith in God and serve God without humility, but you can't with pride. But again, pride by itself, what are you proud? What are you proud of? What are you prideful in? What exactly is making you prideful? You have to pride has to be attached to something. Now I'll tell you what it's attached to. It's attached to ruling yourself. Of having rule over you. You're away. You know, Satan wanted to be like God. He didn't want to surpass God. I think he might have, you know, but I think he was 
He's smart enough to know he can't do that. He wants to be like God. He wants to be like the Most High. You know, it's fine if you're equal with someone. That's not that big of a deal. You know, I've always told people, people don't want you to do bad. They just don't want you to do better than them. Satan wants to be like him because he, he cherishes himself. He has this autonomy, this love of self, which is just the same thing. And then he has pride in that. He's applying pride to that. You know, pride is to take pleasure in your own way, you know, to think yourself of something. But you have to be doing something or you have to be something for that. You have to have a love of what you do or a love of self, really, of going your own way to have pride over anything. And the reason humility is the is the foundation of virtue is because it truly does detach itself from self. You know, C.S. Lewis, you know, said selfishism or being selfless isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You know, and like I once asked a brother, I said, and what's the problem with everything? What's the problem with the church? One word. Now I'll give you like five words, you know, but tell me what do you think is the the single issue. Don't say sin. Don't say the enemy. Don't say the flesh. Like, I want to know what the problem is with believers who are being renewed, being regenerated, you know, being sanctified in the spirit. What is their problem? And all of what he said, he said selfishness. And how true is that? How true is that, that we are just selfish? Selfish with God, selfish with others. You know, scriptures say, mind your others before yourself. You know, consider others before yourself, above yourself. The scripture says you cannot serve mammon and God. Well, what's mammon? It's not, it ain't the bread that came from heaven. I mean, it is, but it ain't just money. It's anything. It's substance. It's, it's bread. It's substance from the earth. It's anything. And it's particularly gain. You know, we're very concerned about gain. Gaining to ourselves stockpiling for ourselves, taking care of ourselves. It's all about being your own God. You know, and self-idolatry, idolizing yourself, putting yourself on the altar, worshiping yourself, like to your own altar. You know, that's autonomy. And that is the birth of all sin. You're concerned about yourself and you'll be able to push off like, oh yeah, did God really say that? I mean, I don't know. I mean, this looks pretty good. This looks like a good tree. I think I should eat this. Looks like it'll really help me. You know, it'll gain for me, 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 me. That's all they're thinking about. You know, and it goes back to my old point about what I was saying about basically sin is more than just right and wrong. You know, what's this? What's this? Like, oh, check this box. This works. This doesn't. This is bad. It's just anything that is apart from God. And when we itemize this, we really miss the whole point. We miss the idea of being like God and then not being like God. You know, and this is kind of the idea of submission. You know, we submit to God. You know, wives submit to their husbands. You know, we submit, husbands submit to their wives. We submit to each other. What is it? It's yielding to order. It's respecting the order of things. And what is order? Order is like a law, nomos. It's this way. And when we go away from that order, it's in sin. Why do you think sexual sin and homosexuality and so why do you think these things are sins? Is because they're against the natural course. You know, you can't, God wants you to procreate in a marriage. He want, he, homosexuals, you know, they can't produce. It's against nature. Why is idolatry wrong? Because it's not God being worshipped. 
You know, why is murder wrong? Because you're taking life. Why is stealing wrong? Because you're taking something that's not yours. Why is covetousness wrong? Because in covetousness is called idolatry. It's because you're not satisfied with what you have and you're trying to, through desire, even just taking it, period, you know, you're, you're desiring something that is not currently what you are in. It's all against nature. I'm not diminishing the idea of sin rebelling in us because that really is, autonomy really is the wickedness of sin. It is where you can't downplay this by appealing to nature because it's, it's emphasizing it. We're going against his natural order. We're going against design, against how he has things. And we're ruling ourselves. We're taking over the throne. We're taking over creation. We're saying, nah, go on, God. You know, you can't, you can't prostrate yourself before the Lord and then still be serving yourself as well. You know, even nowadays, people don't listen to sound instruction. You know, for they will not endure sound instruction. They will not endure. They will not put up with it. They won't take it and actually apply it and, and cherish it. They're going to throw it off. They're going to cast it off. And they're going to say, no, 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 I don't want any of that. Why? Because I need to serve myself. What do they do? They heap up teachers for themselves with itching ears. It's about pleasing yourself, self-satisfaction. That's the issue. You know, the flesh is at enmity with the law. It cannot serve God. It will not serve God. It, it just won't. Because the law points you. It's the instruction to something. To what? To righteousness. To walking properly. To being good. What Yeshua come and do? He came and served. He was, the, he, he was a servant. Even though he is, he's God. And he served. He exemplified unto obedience. He exemplified what it is to not seek your own will, to fully seek him. You know, this is one reason why we have such a huge problem in the church of people not being in the body. It's because people are too selfish. Everyone's seeking their own way, autonomy, because people aren't humble. And that, that is truly what sin is. Sin is truly autonomy. Seeking yourself. And these messianics, and they focus on antinomians. No, it's the antinomians. <laughs> you know, the antinomians who are, who are the issue. It's way beyond just breaking the law. It's way beyond like breaking these so social and cultural taboos we have. It's truly not serving the Lord with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Because that commits. And why are the two greatest commandments of serving God? Serving the Lord, loving Him with all of you, and then loving people as yourself. You know, you serve God with all of you, and then you love people as yourself. And those are the two greatest commandments. You know, people are obsessed with, oh, well, the law's done away with because, you know, those two, all, it's all summed up in love. How does that even make sense? How is the application, the virtue behind the application of, of, a, of a statue undo the statue? How does that make sense? How do you apply love? We don't even know what love is. You know, so we do need the law. We do need this instruction. But what we really need is we need this selflessness and this complete commitment to God and to obey and to serve him. And when you do that, people worry about their sin. Like, then they, they bicker about faith and works and all of this. Like, what we went over in the last episode, what really matters is asking yourself and observing yourself, examining yourself to see if you are trying to live an autonomous life, if you're trying to live what you want to do, or if you're trying to live the way God wants you to do. Do you scoff at anything in the scriptures? Do you push it off? Or are you like, no, this is what it says. I want to do it. 
You know, do you, do you wake up and the first thing you think about is what you want to do? That's sin. That's autonomy. And, and people, it's not complicated, you know, and I'm only using autonomy because it just explains it. That was the, that was the sin at the Garden of Eden. That was the first sin is that Eve decided to take something that would benefit her and she departed. She transgressed. She went off from the way to God and sought her own desires, her own gain, her own life. And, and they were punished and all of creation was torn apart because at one point it was a temple for the Lord. And now it's, that now it's not. It fell and all was corrupted. So we need to put this off. And next episode, that's what we'll talk about. So shalom, everyone. Sorry for the bee that's in here. He's, he's flying around, knocking into plastic. But um, you might hear in the background. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is just something that he's talked to me a lot about, about observing if, if we're walking with him and we're walking the way that he wants us to go or we're walking another way and how it all boils down to worshiping ourselves, having our own idol, where our temple with all these little idols in it that we love and want or for serving him. Because this corruption that's in us, this desire, this passion, all these things that lead us astray, they all come from this idea of self-worship, which is really autonomy. And the opposite of this is serving God. We're not supposed to be slaves to our flesh, our corrupted flesh that just wants to gain itself, you know, to get gain for itself. We're supposed to submit ourselves and become slaves to God. So that is this episode. I hope this was a blessing or or very convicting <laughs> for for everyone. Um, you know, whenever you're watching this, I pray you have a blessed one. I pray you've had a blessed week and you have a blessed week. And you know, I'll see you next episode. Shalom. Mm-hmm.